Welcome to the Agile Book Club podcast, where we hang out and talk shop with the authors whose ideas are shaping the agile landscape. Here is your host, Paul Cliff. Hello there, dear listeners, and thank you so much for joining me today. If you have been a regular listener of the Agile Book Club podcast, then I want to thank you for your patience. I took a few months off to take a summer break, and you didn't ask, but I'll tell you, it was lovely. I spent almost two months sitting on a beach in Portugal and and re- just reading. I sat on the beach and read. That was my day, every day. Get up in the morning, have breakfast, go down the beach, read until I came home to make dinner. And tragedy struck in the form of an errant wave. I'll tell you the story. So I'm sitting there on the beach. I'm sitting on a chair on the beach and I'm seeing the tide is coming in and I'm thinking we're going to get flushed by the tide. That's the expression my family uses. We're going to get flushed if we don't move. And I was prepared for this. I had, I had packed all of my things into, into the backpack so that if a wave came up, I could grab them and run. But I didn't expect a wave so high to be the first one that came to us. And it startled me. And I jumped up, grabbed my bag. The bag was dry. The chair was dry. The umbrella was dry. Everything was dry and saved from the wave. Except the Kindle, which I had just a moment before placed in my lap. It had been in my hand the whole time. And my idea was I'll jump up, Kindle in one hand, bag in the other, if a wave does come. But I had put my Kindle in in my lap for just a moment. And when the wave came, it surprised me. And I grabbed my bag and jumped up, flinging my Kindle right into the water. And as it turns out, I have the first generation Kindle Oasis, which is a lovely ebook reader, but it's not waterproof. Luckily, this happened about a week and a half before the end of the holiday, but I was in a small village in Portugal and there was nothing available to buy to read in English. And I can't imagine being on the beach without reading. And so what I managed to scrounge up for myself, they had... A, a book sharing bin one of the in fact it's a really cute one because it looks like an, an old phone booth except it has bookshelves in the back of it and people leave books there and of course there aren't usually good books in a book bin and all of the books were in Portuguese and a few in German and a few in Spanish and there were only two books there in English one of them was the the classic um, airport fiction book Firefox, which was made into a movie in, in ages and ages ago, like back in the 80s, it was made into a movie. I want to say it was starring Clint Eastwood back when he was young, a young Clint Eastwood as a guy who sneaks into the Soviet Union to steal their latest fighter jet. And I read it not too long after it came out back in the 80s when I was a kid. I grabbed it, I read it again. And the other one was an old, old, old Harlequin romance called, I want to say it was called uh, um, Dylan's Choice or something. And I haven't read, I've read romances, but to my mind, a romance, Wuthering Heights is a romance. Love it. But I have not read anything that I would, I would consider to be your traditional Harlequin romance type romance. And the funniest thing, of course, is, is that this was an old one. So it was pre-cell phone, which is always fun to read. There's so many books that they'd be completely different. So many movies that we grew up with that would be completely different. So many plots that just don't work if you don't accept the possibility that for most of the time, your loved ones are completely out of communication from you. 
and and we take it for granted now that everyone has all the data all the time and that they they can research and and, and learn about each other and that they have their there's no question of where was Dylan for the last four years. You just check check his Facebook page, but um, but anyway, that was that was kind of funny sitting on a on a beach, me reading reading really really light romance. But what could I do? Right, just watch the waves, swim. That's cold. So anyway, I'm back and I'm podcasting again, and I'm initiating a new format. I hope you like it. What we had been doing for a long time was reading one book and then doing an hour-long discussion of the book and then an hour-long interview with the host. And there's two things about this that, that didn't, didn't really suit me. And one of them was how few books we were reading. Um, six books a year is not a lot of books. And, and I read a lot more books than that. I, I read about a book a week. So it's not uncommon for me to read 50 or more books in a year. And I want to share more with you. And the other is that an hour is a long time for a podcast. And so the new format, which is launching today, is going to be me interviewing authors. It's still going to cover most of the same topics. But instead of me just sharing my key takeaways, for example, I'm going to be asking the authors about my key takeaways. And in that way, you get the key ideas from the book, but you also get the author's response to those key ideas and elaboration of those key ideas in real time. And I'm going to be covering one book every month. So we're going from from six books a year to 12 books a year and releasing shorter podcasts. So each one is going, I'm going to be shooting for about 20 to 30 minutes. In the first one, I introduce the book and I talk to the author about the high-level ideas. What were you trying to do with this book? What, what problems were you trying to solve? Who were your readers? The big picture stuff. And in the second one, I do a deep dive. And the idea there is, number one, breaking it up so that you don't have to commit to such a long listening session. And the other is to give you a chance, if you like the concept of the book, you've got two weeks to, to get it on your Kindle or grab it from your library or your bookstore and read it so that when we go into the deep dives with the author, you can follow along more closely and reflect on your own experiences with the book when you're doing that. So without further ado, what I'm talking about today is the book called Product Direction. It was written by a gentleman who I met a couple of years ago at one of Marty Kagan's workshops in London. His name is Nacho Bassino, and the book that he's written is called Product Direction, How to Build Successful Products at Scale with Strategy, Roadmaps, and Objectives and Key Results. And the format of the book follows that very closely. There are three sections, one on strategy and how to devise strategy, one on roadmaps and how to create news roadmaps, and one on objectives and key results and how to go about doing that. And what he presents is a framework for a company that doesn't have an existing framework for developing strategy and then implementing that strategy. And because of the way it's structured, it can also be useful for a company that, say, is good at strategy but not good at actioning it or has a strategy and roadmaps, but they're never satisfied with the results. So if you're doing part of these things well and part of them not well, this book can still be useful. So the gentleman we're about to meet, Nacho Pacino, has been leading product teams for a long time. He's an industry veteran. He's been in various leadership positions. What he's doing now is is coaching and consulting, mostly working with teams. He does a lot of public speaking. He is an avid writer. He's a podcaster. He's got a podcast as well, and I'll put a link to his podcast in the show notes. I'll also put a link to his books in the show notes. 
And, um, and what I take from, from this book, Product Direction, is that something that he's very good at is coming into an organization that however they've managed to succeed so far, it's not working for them anymore. They've chosen a product strategy as a solution to that problem. And reading this book, it's clear that this is a book written by a person who has done the work on the ground with people many times. He's got a step-by-step -step process. He has a broad suite of tools that he introduces just enough of each tool. So if that sounds like you, if you're struggling with putting a product strategy in place for your organization, coming up with an informed strategy together, clarifying it into a roadmap, and then actioning it through visible tools to indicate how well you're accomplishing that strategy, how well your teams are moving towards towards that strategy, and how well your teams are aligned to that strategy, then you're going to love this interview. So please join me in welcoming the wonderful Nacho Bacino. What we're going to be talking about today is your latest book, Product Direction. And, and for this first part of the interview, I want to stay sort of high level. What I see in this book is a book aimed at giving leaders in an organization that doesn't have a organized product-oriented approach to creating, communicating, and actioning their strategy, a framework that would get them started in doing those three steps. And I'm wondering, in your experience as a consultant in this space, how common is it to find an organization that's functioning and making money, but has no structured approach to developing and actioning a strategy. I guess we, we will need to define what's functioning and making money, <laughs> but let's say that uh, I, I would go to surviving. There are plenty of companies that don't have a strategy. And actually I, I can even leverage other thought leaders in, in the field to, to kind of uh, restate the claim because Marty Kagan, before launch, uh, launching Empowered, which actually launched close to, to when I launched my book, he was uh, publishing articles around you know, direction, context, strategy, and whatnot. And he said that most of the companies he works with, and he works with kind of, yes, these Silicon Valley great companies, don't have a product strategy. So it's not that the, the product strategy is bad, it's simply inexistent. So I guess that kind of, uh, given my experience, I would say, yes, there are many companies that are surviving without a product strategy and they can really leverage uh, the, the, the impact they will achieve by having a strategy, but also from, from get, getting the insights from others in the, in the discipline, I think that this is also the case in the majority of companies. So assuming you've got a company that... And, and you've just mentioned a company that can afford to hire Marty Kagan, right? You've got a company that can afford to bring in top, top consultants. And they've made that, they've gotten to that point. They've, they've, they've been that successful by following some sort of an ad hoc or reactive or visionary leader-driven strategy that, that was lucky enough to stick at the right time in the right place. What, what brings a company in that position to realize that they need to formalize their approach to creating an actioning strategy. Yeah, that's a good point. This is based on the companies I'm working with, so might be a bit uh, biased, but at some point in time, this you, you know you start as a startup and you create a business model that works. So you go into maybe scaling it a bit more, um, and you have, as you said, something that's functioning. It's, it's making money. You you can even reach profitability, and that's good. But then you have some some wish or pressure to keep growing, 
And that's where you start most of the companies, which don't use a strategy, but kind of are start trying to, to grow anyways, they will try to hit many, many different things. So they will try kind of having these, you know, games in which you will either follow the, last, the latest shiny thing or have, you know, opinionated debates of what's our strategy for growth um, and, and selecting different things. And at the end of the day, what turns out is that they achieve mediocre results because they try to pursue either many different things or they do place small bets in, in multiple different directions. Um, so that's, I think that's the, the trigger saying, hey, if we have a strategy, we may, or we need a strategy to make a stronger focus in some area and to actually conquer our growth in this particular direction. So it sounds like a good example of what got you here won't get you there. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I saw a tweet recently say, hey, the, the, as a startup founder giving advice, this is the lottery ticket numbers I use to grow my startup. So yeah, that, that's perfect <laughs> for one time, but very hard to repeat. Yeah, I love that. Um, so who did you have in mind when you were writing this book? Who's your ideal reader? Uh, I was uh, very focused on, on my own niche, or, or I would say it's catching my own need, but, uh, you know, positioning as a product leader, dealing with this need for a strategy and not having it and not having a proper framework on how to create it. That's what the, the what triggered this, this need for a book. Uh, so I say product leaders was my, my niche or is my niche. Still. But I want to follow up on this because I would expect a person whose title is product leader to not need this book. So how does a person suddenly realize that despite the fact that they have not thought of themselves as a product leader to this point and have not been exposed to the sort of ideas that I would expect a product leader to be exposed to, to suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I'm being called upon now to become a product leader. So maybe I can split this in two. The first one is uh, exactly to how you begin it phrasing it, that there are many people covering product leader functions without necessarily having the title. And even a simple example is the, the founder or CEO of a startup that, you know, in the startup, in the small startup world, that's easy. It's kind of, uh, we're just following the, what we need to do for product market fit. But when you get into the growth stage and start scaling, and maybe you already have four or five teams, you don't, still don't have a CPO or a head of product or whatever, but you as a founder, you are fulfilling that that gap. So you you need to have these uh, this ways to crafting and expressing the product strategy, which is what I'm trying to cover. To be honest, I mean, as I was saying, I, I use a lot of terminology in the book or, or, or frameworks even that are more related to the product space. So I'm not sure how this audience might, might take this book. So going back to the niche, I think I'm still focusing the, on the product leader, but this is one way to say how these other people might benefit from, from having product strategy. The other angle that I think is even more important is that product leadership is something quite new. So some of us have, have been in this space for many years, so we know the expectations, but some people are learning as they go. And especially new new leaders who just, just got promoted, or even that's very typical to have leaders from other functions that are now uh, re relabel as product leaders and these people really need support so this is when i mean it's not only product strategies of them trying to cover that niche but if you go into part of kind of the all the product leaders functionality uh, uh, yeah requirements that you have petra's books for example covering that uh, strong product people or things like that so there are many functions that are new to them and and 
maybe answering your question, I, I do not see that all product leaders have clarity on, on these requirements and actually not only the, the, what's required for the role, but also how to, how to do it. That's the, the biggest problem. I can imagine a growing company too. You might very well have product managers and the company grows to a point at which one of the product managers has to be, take over a leadership position. And they might think, you know, I know how to build a product with a team, but I don't know how to drive a company with multiple products, with multiple teams. And this framework is a good fit for that, that scenario as well, I think. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a, a very good fit. So you find yourself suddenly on an elevator or a lift, as we say here in, in Europe. And you're on the elevator with your perfect reader. What do you say to them? So this is a book uh, a, with a practical approach to create a product strategy and connect it to the execution through roadmaps and OKRs. Which is mostly even the title of the book, kind of, that subtitle of the book, sorry. <laughs> That's an example of a good title then, I suppose. If the, if the title is your elevator pitch, then uh, nailed it. One of the things I, I observed when I was reading this, I have attempted to write a few books myself. I have written a few books myself that I haven't published. And I know how easy it is to to, to follow a tangent. This book follows a very logical flow with each step progressing to the other. And there's a lot of places where you could go in and, and get real deep and you don't. And so that suggests that you've applied a lot of discipline to the process of writing and editing this book. What did you have to leave out in order to stick to your vision for this? That's a good question. Uh... I, as uh, summarizing it, first of all, I, I'm maybe following this editing example. I did remove a bunch of the books, so probably it was around 20% of them when, when, when doing the editing, uh, because as I said, it was getting too deep, too detailed. Um, so maybe trying to think about what content was left out in those uh, scenarios. I think that was one was more examples or either customizations to particular companies, which I think are. This is useful, and I see the value of adding it. But as you know, product leaders can can work in many, many different products, in many different varieties. So trying to cover all of them, all, all the specifics, was just too 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 difficult and too yeah, too long of a book to to write. Um, and the second one was more on the well, I was saying example, but was also kind of the personal stories. So I, I I do see a lot of value in the personal stories. So I try to include and actually included uh, many of them. But at some point, say hey, well, but maybe maybe I, I overdid it and I reduced some of, some of them. So one of the scenarios that you describe in the book, which I think is probably pretty common, is one in which there is a strategy on some level but there's nothing connecting that strategy through the company or the strategy is too broad, like grow, make more money. And, and you describe a scenario in which theoretically every division and every department and every team in a company can individually be successful, but the company is still failing. Could you describe to our listeners what that looks like and how it happens? Yeah, actually, the, the the example I use is is not even product related. It's, it's called the dinner because there are kind of different teams in charge of different uh, 
yeah, different dishes of, of the, the dinner experience. Um, but maybe making it a bit more tangible and more product related, this is something that happens many times in, in the scenario you were describing. When you have a very broad, high level goal, this is what I say, lack of leadership in terms of determining the focus, the direction that we want to pursue. And the, the scenario you end up with is that, and, and this is probably common in many, many companies, in each OKR cycle, everything is on the table, every option is available. So teams start debating and start saying, trying to do some ROI analysis and trying to see, hey, this might be more viable. And what you end up having is multiple teams pulling in multiple directions. So going back to more product slash business example, if you are trying to grow some teams, so let's say if you are trying to grow profitability, some teams might focus on growing the market share. Some teams might focus on gain, gaining more share of wallet for the current users. Some teams may focus on uh, reducing cost. But if you do little progress in each of these directions, probably you will not achieve the growth you're expecting as a company. So being doing the strategy work of saying, hey, this is the biggest lever, this is the biggest opportunity we have, and let's focus all teams on that direction. That's what really makes the difference. You know, while you were describing that, I, I, I was thinking of examples, and I could very much imagine something like that happening inside of an automobile company, for example. Classic example that we've all heard of is, is one team wants to expand the product line, and so they introduce a new vehicle called the Nova. Another team wants to expand geographically, so they enter Mexico. And they don't talk to each other. And so you end up with a Mexican car whose name means no go. <laughs> yes, indeed. So they both yeah. succeeded. They entered Mexico. They introduced a new, new product to the product line. But by not That's... working together, they failed to achieve the company's overall objectives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because... In this case, maybe there are the, the, the teams to play. So it's more of an execution problem. But again, by, by not having this, this direction that aligns the teams and, and kind of, I would say force them to talk, but that's not necessarily the case. But, you know, leadership plays a function there and there's not only the teams to blame, it's leadership to blame because of this lack of direction. All right. At the end of the first half of the, 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 the two-part interview, my intention is to encourage readers to buy the book. So if what you've heard so far suggests that you are in the target audience for this book and, and you, are, um, you are the reader for this book and this book, this book sounds like something for you, grab it, give it a read before the, we do the deep dive so you can follow along with what we're, we're talking about when we do the deep dive. What is it that you would like to share at the end of this first part of the interview with readers to help them to make that decision? I think that the most uh, distinctive part of my book that I still see that is kind of uh, there and relevant is that I'm taking the practical route. So if you want to read about strategy, you have multiple books. And I would recommend you read Good Strategy by Strategy by Richard Rommelt. You read Seven Powers. There are a bunch of books that are good at explaining theories about the strategy or how you will define some sort of strategy. But how you actually put into practice for product is something that is not that well understood. And as we were discussing before, is a role that product leaders maybe know that they need to do, but they haven't done it before or they haven't done it in such a way and they are trying to up the game. So this is the, 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 the real product market fit for the book. This is what the book is helping leaders do. Great. That, that, that was a great way to articulate um, something that was on my mind when I was reading it, which is that it is, there's, there's two things that I appreciated here. One is that it is just enough 
Because I have seen books that mention and assume an understanding of a number of different tools. And you go a little bit deeper by giving examples of how to use some of the various tools. So, so one of the things that you do is you give people just barely enough of each of the various tools in case they haven't come across them themselves. But you also give them a very, very nice bibliography to go further. So if you, you dip your toe in Teresa Torres's work, for example, and you find that useful, then you can go and dig much deeper into it. And, uh, and then, so yes, indeed. And what you do is you, you pull these things together. So if you've just read a book on OKRs, it's probably not enough. Or if you've just read a book on, on impact mapping, great tool, then you can put it right here. But how does that fit into the greater scheme of things? And what you need for that is a framework. And a framework is exactly what you offer in product direction. Absolutely. absolutely. And maybe one thing that we didn't cover so far is that I don't like, so I don't believe in copy pasting kind of uh, recipes uh, or yeah, cooking recipes for, for product leaders. So the, the intention is to put, hey, this, so this is the flow that you need to follow. These are the big steps. But then how you do the step, there are a variety of tools I can suggest. But if you have your own, for example, if you're using impact mapping, this is how you can use impact mapping in this step and how you can connect it to the, to the bigger picture. So I think that's also something that I think is very important when you are reading a product book, not to follow every little single line, but actually more understanding the model that we're trying to communicate. Indeed. One of the things I liked about the structure is that at the end of each section, each section describes a set of actions or a set of activities that an organization would go through. And each one ends with a set of outcomes. So these are the outputs, not, it's really outputs. These are the outputs from this step that become the inputs for the next step. And if you can find a better way, or if you've got an existing way of getting those same outputs at a quality that satisfies you, then, then go with it. And that is a great point on which to take a break. This brings us to the end of the first of a two-part interview with Nacho Pacino about his new book, Product Direction. So stay tuned. In two more weeks, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the material. And if you found this interesting, if you found this captivating, if this sounds like a book that would be useful to you right now, that gives you two weeks to download it on your Kindle or go out and buy a copy and read it so that when we go into the deep dive in two weeks in the episode that's going to come out on October 1st, you can follow along and see if my questions address whatever questions you might have taken from the book, and we can do it together. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Agile Book Club podcast, and we will see you again in two weeks. Goodbye.